I'm Kate, and welcome to the Picture House Podcast, where we discuss the architecture, design, and history of America's early cinemas. We hope that telling the stories of these places and the people associated with them will help you explore their place in our collective memory and our communities today. So far on this podcast, we've done a fairly decent job of talking as much about theaters that still exist as ones that don't. However, this episode will be a total lament, but the theaters I'm going to talk about are just too cool not to. Get your scotch and cigarettes, folks, because we're headed to the early 1960s to talk about the Cooper Cinerama Theaters. Located in Denver, Minneapolis, and Omaha, they were collectively known as the Golden Triangle. From an idea planted in the late 1930s, Cinerama boldly sprang to life in the early 50s as one of the most novel approaches to post-war moviegoing, and the Cooper Theaters provided an unparalleled home for the technology. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Cinerama. Fifteen years before those words were uttered in a promotional film for the technology, Fred Waller and Ralph Walker of the Vitarama Corporation filed an application for a patent for a new kind of motion picture theater. The intent of their 1937 design, which was patented on April 21, 1942, was to produce the effect or illusion that the spectator is actually in and surrounded by the environment depicted. For example, if the scene is laid in a forest, the spectator, within his normal field of vision, will see forest on all sides and overhead, so as to produce the illusion that the spectator is in the forest, rather than merely looking at a picture of a forest covering only a small portion of the normal field of vision. It is a further object of the invention to increase the illusion of being in and surrounded by an environment by producing binaural sound effects. That is, sounds accompanying the action of a picture will appear to the spectator to emanate from the source depicted. The inventors found that, taking into consideration the normal field of vision of a seated spectator, a projection screen extending through an arc of 180 degrees in the horizontal plane and extending through an arc of approximately 90 degrees in the vertical plane is sufficient for all practical purposes. The screen, in the form of a hollow quarter sphere, is arranged with one of its edges lying in a horizontal plane and its other edge lying in a vertical plane. The floor of the theater and the seats for the spectators are arranged within the cord of the horizontal arc of the screen so that the spectators are, in effect, surrounded on all sides and overhead by the screen. Floor and seats are depressed to somewhat below the plane of the screen edge in order to avoid interference by the spectators within the projection beams. Due to the large area of the screen, it was necessary to propose to employ a plurality of projectors how's that for alliteration for you? Each adapted to project against a predetermined area of the screen, the combined areas being sufficient and arranged in such manner as to cover substantially the entire area of the screen. The exact number of projectors was negotiable. However many of them you had, they all had to be in perfect synchronicity. There's plenty of geometry involved that I won't get into because I don't understand it, but it's best to let Walker and Waller succinctly sum it up. For best results, it is desirable that the projectors be arranged in such manner that the axis of each projection beam passes through the approximate center of the curved surface against which it is projected. 
With the new motion picture screen and projection system carefully considered, its creators made no attempt to illustrate in detail the structure of a suitable enclosure or building for housing the theater. Enter Richard L. Crowther. Richard Leighton Crowther was born in Newark, New Jersey on December 16, 1910. He earned an MA in architecture from the Newark School of Fine Arts. Eventually settling in Denver, Crowther was one of the earliest and most vocal proponents of solar residential architecture, and he became internationally known for his innovative designs in this area. Today, that's the work he's best known for. Crowther died in Denver on Christmas Day 2006, at the age of 96. I wish I could give you more background on Crowther, but the biographical info on him that's available online is surprisingly scant and repetitive, and regrettably I'm not located in the right place to do primary source research. So instead, I'll simply do my best to describe the Cooper Cinerama theaters, and perhaps I can convince you that he was absolutely the right architect to design them. But first, before we dive into that, a little bit of background on the Cooper Foundation. Joseph H. Cooper, a Russian immigrant, became a theater operator and a man of big business and many affairs. His theater interests included the Lincoln Theater Corporation, the J.H. Cooper Enterprises, and the Criterion and Regal Theater Corporations of Oklahoma. In December of 1934, he established the Cooper Foundation, a non-stock charitable organization incorporated in Nebraska. The foundation was created to establish homes and to maintain and provide education for destitute, deserving youngsters. 50% of the theater income went to the foundation, while the rest was held in trust until a $1 million reserve was reached, after which all the income was used for the foundation. Cooper died in March of 1946 at the age of 60. Upon his death, he left the theater business to the foundation. The theaters did well under the foundation's management. Well enough, in fact, to construct Cinerama theaters in Minneapolis, Denver, and Omaha in the early 1960s. The Cooper Cinerama Theaters Cinerama, Inc. built new theaters, partnered with existing theater chains, and renovated existing theaters to accommodate their format. Of the new theaters built specially for Cinerama, Richard Crowther's are arguably the most interesting architecturally and the ones that most strongly reflect the building's function. Crowther developed preliminary plans for the first of the three Cooper Cineramas, the Denver one, in February of 1960. His design would be put to use for all three Cooper Cineramas. Within the main circular area of the building, which was 120 feet in diameter, were the main auditorium with a balcony, three separate projection areas, and the wonderfully expansive 146-degree, 105-foot by 38-foot curved screen, complete with an enormous bittersweet orange curtain. Three different calculations for seating were included on the building's blueprint. 22-inch chairs with 42 inches back-to-back -back would seat 857 to 873. 21-inch chairs with 40 inches back-to-back -back would fit 904 to 922. 21-inch chairs with 38 inches back-to-back, -back, and you could pack 955 to 973 in there. An interesting caveat in all of these calculations is that the balcony seats would always have 42 inches of spacing. Concession areas, with one-way flows designated, flanked both sides of the auditorium. The building had a 3,000-square-foot lobby fully visible from the outside, 
through the glass doors and floor-to-ceiling windows. The lobby, lavatories, employee dressing rooms, coat room, offices, storage, and ticket booth main entrance extended in sort of a Y shape off of one side of the circle. A quick break for a PSA. The Denver Public Library has an incredibly high-res version of the architectural drawing of the first Cooper Cinerama's main floor. I highly recommend you check it out. It's really beautiful, the kind of thing you get a frame print of, which, by the way, you can. You can find a link to the image in the episode description. Okay, back to the show. These theaters were the stuff mod dreams are made of. The open staircases, the lighting fixtures, wood paneling, sleek and minimal furniture, the carpets with their chartreuse, pale orange, yellow, and turquoise accents, the metal circular curtain wall exterior painted in bittersweet orange, and said exterior adorned with that amazing scripted Cooper on the outside, with its giant C and an elongated P. Hard as I might try, I highly doubt this verbal description is doing it justice. If you can, do yourself a favor and check out some old photos online of any of the Cooper Cineramas. The Denver Cooper Cinerama had a special invite-only gala opening on March 9, 1961, and officially opened to the public the next day. The Minneapolis location, technically in St. Louis Park, opened on August 9, 1962, billed as the only theater of its kind in the Great Northwest and the exclusive Upper Midwest home of Cinerama, from its gleaming exterior down to the finest details of interior design and appointments, the new radically different Cooper is an architectural symphony in the round. It was an interstate attraction. Advanced tickets were sold as far west as Sioux Falls, as far east as Eau Claire. The Indian Hills Theater on Dodge Road in Omaha opened on December 21, 1962. It was the last theater in the country built specifically for the Cinerama process. As cool as these buildings were, and as mod and innovative as they were for their time, they actually arrived too late in the arc of the Cinerama format's popularity. The last Cooper Cinerama opened late in 1962, and the following year, Cinerama switched to a single-camera process that was similar to CinemaScope, 20th Century Fox's widescreen format. While all of the Cooper Cineramas showed movies for many years, none of them survived today. The Minneapolis Cooper Theater was demolished in September of 1992. Denver's Cooper Theater was torn down in 1994 to make room for, ugh, of all things, a parking lot. Ugh. And despite the efforts of numerous local advocates and the likes of legendary Hollywood figures including Chuck Heston, Kirk Douglas, Janet Lee, and Leonard Malton, the Indian Hills Theater in Omaha met its sad end in August of 2001, again, for a parking lot. Ugh. I'd like to think that if the Cooper Theaters had come along just a little earlier, they might still be around today. But in reality, it probably wouldn't have mattered. Honestly, they all lasted longer than I would have expected. Even now, it's hard for some folks to appreciate mid-century modern architecture, so it's not really surprising that these buildings met their demise in the 90s and early 2000s. But hopefully we can appreciate them now. I mean, what amazing examples of form-following function. The long, curving Cinerama screen heavily influenced the design of the round theater it was housed in. Crowther embraced that meshing of form and function so wonderfully. 
Well, of course I wish that one, or all of these still existed, to see and experience today. I really enjoyed learning about them, and I hope you did too. Thank you for listening. I have to give a special shout out to my mom on this episode, who gets credit for giving me the idea for it. And I hope that you'll join us for our next episode, when we'll head back to the Eastern Seaboard to discuss Thomas Lamb's Translux Theatres. Until then, may your seats be ever in the center. (laughs) ¶¶